The first reading for the sixth Sunday after Easter comes from Acts 17, starting with verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, What does this babbler wish to say? Others said, He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord and heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and this he, he has given assurance of to all by raising him from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle reading for today comes from Peter's first letter to the Christians, chapter 3, starting with verse 13. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. 
For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteousness for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 14th chapter. Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> the man was crazy and everybody knew it. He used to be an upstanding member of the community and everyone liked him. His family lived on the outskirts of town, but they were just normal Joes. You'd see them in town regularly buying groceries, buying supplies, chewing the fat. Then one day, everything changed. It was like he snapped. He started criticizing everyone, telling us we had to get religion, that some god or something didn't like the way we were living, and that we'd better change our ways. Who does he think he is? Just leave us alone. Now we all go out to his farm and we laugh at him. When we do, he stops his work and he comes out to talk to us, but it's always the same. Repent of your sins, he says. Turn to God and ask for mercy. Then we ask him, snickering, how his project is coming. He's building a boat, you know. We ask him and everybody laughs and he shakes his head and he goes back to work. Somehow, he's even convinced his three sons to help him. Can you imagine? A boat. The nearest river is a day's walk away. 
And what a boat. It's huge. He has some crazy idea that there's going to be a flood and that we're all in danger. But he's been saying the same thing for the last 35 years. And 35 years from now, I'm sure he'll be saying the same thing. He's just crazy, you know? Crazy Noah. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. Turns out Noah wasn't crazy after all. He was instead chosen by God to preach repentance to a corrupt world. And he preached all during the years that he worked on and built that ark. But the people would not repent. They were very comfortable in their sin. And it sure didn't look to them like God was going to do any punishing. I mean, year after year, things just kept going on as they always had been, right up until the first few raindrops fell. And then God wiped his creation clean. He destroyed every human being save eight. He drowned every living creature except those that were in the ark. What happened to that image of God that they might have had? That image of God as a great-grandfather, gray-haired in the sky, sitting in a rocking chair, just wanting and waiting to do good to everybody. People today still believe that. They still want to believe that. They want to believe that God's really not all that concerned with what we do or what we don't do. Right or wrong, well, they don't really apply because it's all relative. What's wrong for you might be right for somebody else. And who's to say anyway? We're all just doing our best, you know, trying to get along. Who's to judge? Shouldn't we just be more tolerant? And our culture is surely but slowly, maybe slowly but surely, carving God out of it, doing away with his influence. The Koran and the Bible, well, they're seen to be on the same par. The Ten Commandments are deemed irrelevant, passe, even offensive. Scripture is said to be full of errors, change so drastically over time that you can't be sure what's the truth and what isn't, what's God's word and what isn't. Gender is fluid. 
remove the moral judgments and everybody's going to get along a lot better. Marriage can be defined in whatever way we want. Love between a man and a man, woman and woman, it's just as pure and right, isn't it, as any other kind of love? Christianity is intolerant, it's judgmental. And our individualistic society would just like to move on past it and get on to freedom. Meanwhile, God's word reminds us that the same God who judged the world by sending a cataclysmic flood to drown all those who were disobedient in the days of Noah, that same God is coming again to judge both the living and the dead. And his judgment of the world is going to be final, it's going to be swift, it's going to be terrible. This world corrupted by sin, it's going to be dealt just a furious blow. It'll be just as utter and complete as when the first flood came and covered the earth. When the waters sprang up from the deep and the rain poured down out of the sky for 40 days and 40 nights. And the judgment that's coming is going to be just as certain as that flood. And in that terrible day Paul, uh, that Paul says God has fixed to judge the world, who is going to be able to stand? Which of us will God have mercy on? Each of us, by our sin, has condemned ourselves to be destroyed, condemned ourselves to be judged guilty. But the good news for us today is the same good news that Noah was preaching to the people of his day. It's the good news that God has made a way for us through the coming destruction, through that coming judgment. And that way, again, is through water. And just as the floodwaters lifted Noah and his family to safety above the destruction, lifted them to new life, so the waters of baptism have done the same for you and for me. Our baptism will carry us through the coming destruction and judgment. How can that be? Luther asks. Just a little water? A little sprinkling of water? A few words spoken? How, how in the world can that save us? But Luther says, not water only, but water included in God's command and combined with God's word. In baptism, we have been united with Christ. We have been buried with him. And then we know we shall also be raised with him. This is God's promise to us. It is sealed. You have God's assurance of this, Paul says, because God raised Jesus from the dead. Peter writes that the floodwaters carried Noah and his family to safety through the destruction. He says baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism's power is well attested to in Scripture. 
Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, Peter says in Acts. Paul writes, For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins. We just came down out of the mountains yesterday. And uh, I tell you, going through Glenwood Canyon there, the Colorado River is really rushing with all of the snow melt that's going on and the seven or eight inches of rain that we've had over the last few days. It is just tumbling over those rocks and spraying everywhere. But I tell you, it's really muddy, too. It's full of silt, full of branches. You see logs and trees lying around. That water is just carrying everything away. And it's amazing. You see the rivulets coming down the hillside and pouring into the water there. And you just look at all that mud and debris that the water has picked up. But you know, as long as that runoff lasts, as long as that torrent goes, even if it kept on going for a year, there would still be dirt and mud and twigs and rocks and things left behind. It is not cleansing the land. But in our baptism, the water that was sprinkled on you or that you were immersed in, God promises a full cleansing of all your sin. Though your sins were as scarlet, they are now white as snow. Your sins have been removed from you as far as the east is from the west. This is God's promise to you. Because of his mercy and his grace shown to us in Jesus Christ, we can stand before God with a good conscience. Amazingly, knowing what our sin is, we can stand there with a good conscience knowing that they are washed away by the blood of Jesus. In the coming judgment, our sins cannot condemn us because they've already been judged in Jesus Christ. They've been punished in his body that suffered and hung on the tree. In our baptism, we have been crucified and buried with Christ. The waters of our baptism will carry us through that final judgment, just as the waters of the flood carried Noah and his family to safety. Peter writes that God was patient in the days of Noah. God could have had an Amazon drone come and drop an ark right there for Noah and his family, and then they could have gotten on, and immediately the waters could have come, and the world could have been wiped out. But God didn't do it that way. He told Noah to build the ark, and it took Noah a long time. And if you look in the scriptures there, you see likely it was 70, maybe some people think even 100 years that it took Noah to build that ark. And uh, all the while that he was building it, that ark was a testimony of the coming destruction. And Noah preached, it says. Noah preached during those 70 years. He would tell people, God's going to destroy the earth. It's because of sin. You can save yourself. You can come on the ark. Nobody did. 
That's the way God did it, because God is patient. His steadfast love never changes. He loves people. He wants people to be saved. And he's still waiting patiently today. He's established his church, the church that is a witness like that ark, witness of his steadfast love, the church who witnessed the birth of the Savior, the church who witnessed his suffering and sacrifice on the cross, the church that witnessed his resurrection from the dead, the church on which the Spirit was poured out on Pentecost. This church is a powerful witness in the world that God is merciful, that God would have all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And it's because of God's patience that you and I are here today worshiping Him, that you and I are saved, that we have an eternity in heaven. It's because of God's patience and love. You've been brought into the ark. You know that you know the name of the place in the church building where you are sitting. I know many of you do. It's a Latin word, comes from the Latin. It's nave, right? You are sitting in the nave of the church. Novice, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I don't speak Latin. Novice is Latin and it means ship. It means boat. And the reason it means that, the reason that you are sitting in the nave, the reason they have named this the nave is because you are in God's ark. The ark in which Noah and his family were kept safe. And here you are kept safe. You are fed. Like Noah fed his family and fed the animals, you are fed by the word of God. You are fed by the sacrament. Here we tell each other the stories of the church, what has been witnessed of God's steadfast love, of his mercy, of his forgiveness. We rehearse those stories, we teach them to our children, here in the nave, in the ship. We confess in our creed that Jesus descended into hell. And uh, he didn't go there to suffer. Some people believe that. But that's what that means. That's not what that means. He descended into hell. And Peter makes it clear in his letter that Jesus went and preached to the spirits that were in prison who disobeyed in the days of Noah. Isn't that something? Thousands of years later, Jesus dies on the cross, rises from the dead, and goes to preach his victory to the spirits in prison, the spirits who disregarded God's word, who ignored the warnings, who said, hey, our life is fine just as it is. Noah, leave us alone. Jesus went and preached victory. The Christian church throughout the world will continue to stand, will continue to send out the clarion call to all sinners to come in, come into the ark, come into God's family, to know the Savior, to be baptized in the name of Jesus, 
to be saved from the coming judgment. That promise is for all. May God's Holy Spirit create faith in many hearts by the preaching of the gospel. May he give you and me opportunities to witness to other people about the great things that we have seen, the great things that we have been taught, not just made-up things, but eyewitness accounts of God's love in Jesus Christ, of his sacrifice, of his death and resurrection for us. May he give us opportunity to speak about the precious flood of his blood that has washed us clean, the waters of baptism that have washed us clean also, washing away every spot and stain, giving us new life, and joining us together with Christ for eternity. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.